Good morning, Hope Church. I'm happy to once again be here with you to read God's Word and and just dive into it just for a few minutes. Today we're going to be reading from Micah 7, verses 1 through 7. If you can, please follow along with me as I read. Micah 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered. As when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for the opportunity to dive into your word, even when it's not easy to hear or read, God. We ask that you work in our hearts, you work in our minds, you push us and you drive us to change away from our own sinful desires and more towards you and what you have called us to do. Lord God, we ask that this time our hearts and our minds are open to hearing the truths in your word. I'm going to give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, for you're the only one worthy of it. Amen. Marcus Tullius Cicero might sound familiar. He lived 106 to 43 B.C., He was a Roman statesman, lawyer, academic, philosopher during the the Roman Republic time. He actually served an important role in establishing what was known as the Roman Empire, which if you know your history was a big deal. He's quoted as saying this, the enemy is within the gates. It is with our own luxury, our own folly, our own criminality that we have to contend. What is it saying? He's saying the problem is us. It's not the outside world. It's not our enemies. It's not other forces at play. We are the problem. We're not good. The enemy is within the gates. Two things to note here. First, if this sounds very familiar to the last time I got the opportunity to preach just because it is. It's what the text is saying, but, but I do think there is so much hope found in this passage. 
And second, when I was thinking through this passage, I was just, just kind of just thinking throughout all of human history, you would have thought that we would have learned something, that we, we would have grown, that we would have not continually failed in such similar ways. But sadly, when you turn on the news, we're just as messed up now as we always have been. I think the reason for that is sin. See, sin has corrupted the world. It's broken it and taken it from its state of peace, of shalom, and it's turned it into what we see today. And because of that, we have to put our hope in something and someone far greater than ourselves. Someone who is stronger than the sin that has warped and twisted all of creation. We need to realize that the worldly leaders and the relationships that we have, they're going to fail us. But as Christians, we must have hope in one who is far greater to save us. How can this passage show us this? How can this passage show us of our own depravity as well as provide hope? First, I think we need to look at just verses 2 and four, because I think when we look at those verses, we can really understand that, yes, we are sinners, we are broken, we fail, but also our leaders also fail. The leadership we have this side of heaven will fail us. The godly has perished from the earth. There's no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood. Each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The godly has perished from the earth. No one upright among mankind. They wait for blood. They hunt each other. They do evil and they do evil well. In Genesis 6, before God sends the flood, he looks on all of creation. He says this, he says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We have a serious problem. And it's not just the outside world attacking us. It's us. The enemy is within the gates. We are at fault, and I'll get into that more later, but I want to take a time to also look at the leadership we have. Look at um, the prince and the judge in verse 4. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. So I, I just wanted to look at the leadership that we often have in our lives. We can kind of separate it into almost two categories. You have the worldly or the secular leaders and the religious leaders. For us, probably Christian leaders. But how can the worldly leaders fail us? Now, I don't really think I need to go on and tell you that our leaders across the board can and will fail us. But I do want to paint a picture of the world that we live in that's led by these individuals. We live in a world where a man named Jacob Blake can be shot seven times in the presence of his children. Now, regardless of the situation, 
regardless of who did what or who's at fault, the outcome is tragic and heartbreaking. We also live in a world where a 17-year-old can cross state lines now using an illegal firearm and he can shoot and kill two people only to be peacefully arrested the next day after being cared for by the police that same night that he shot and killed two people. Now again, regardless of the facts at play, we have to acknowledge that we live in a world that led this boy to act that way. We should not be okay with it. Our leaders should have stopped it. That's why we have authorities. We have, we have people to protect and serve us. But sadly, we see lots of stories today where that's not happening. We live in a world where we have radical leaders on both sides of the political aisle. And they're doing nothing but degrading and belittling each other. Dividing an already wounded country. How is this the world that we are living in? How has it gotten so bad? Our worldly leaders are failing. Our police officers, our local authorities, our mayors, our governors, our representatives in Washington, to the highest level of government officials. These are the ones we would hope and desire would help bring peace and order. The ones we elected to do those very things. But you turn on the news and they are failing. Maybe this is because I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. But sadly, when I, when I open up Facebook or I just read the news, I can kind of see two ideas, two thoughts. Sometimes we see people who are okay with the world we live in. They're okay with our current leadership. And that's scary. But on the same other side of the same coin, we have people that think if we just elected the right people, if we had the right leadership, everything would change. Everything would be fixed. The right leaders will save us. But when you say that, you're putting too much hope, and you're putting it in the wrong place. The perfect worldly leader does not exist. That person has never existed before. They will never exist in the future, especially this side of heaven. Even the best person will fail us. Why? Because people are sinners. People will fail. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them, a thorn hedge. So if our worldly leaders are failing us, where should we turn? Some people might turn to religious leaders. We might turn to Christian leaders. Well, it doesn't get any better. We live in a world where when you hear about a church leader or maybe a leader of a Christian university is involved in a sex scandal, it's no longer shocking to us. We live in a world where it's normal for religious leaders to abuse their power for their own monetary gain. We live in a world where it's normal for church leaders to spew hate and cause division among the people. We live in a world where it's typical to make the religious leaders in our lives the saviors of our lives. And on top of that, even the good are not as good as you think they are. The Tim Kellers or the John Pipers of this world. Or maybe even your local leaders, the Jeffs, the Arts, the Tylers. 
of the world. These people are no one's savior. They are no one's ultimate hope for guidance and leadership. It's a trap that some people fall into. Religious leaders are still sinners and they fail. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright of them a thorn hedge. So if we are failing, if the world leaders are failing, if religious leaders are failing, where should we turn? One place we might turn is is for maybe more just of a, a personal connection with somebody. Maybe we look to the answer in our own personal relationships with each other. But sadly, the relationships that we have this side of heaven will fail us. Verses 5 and 6. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Relationships are broken because we are broken. We fail to trust others, and we also can be untrustworthy. We often fail to truly open up to people because maybe we're scared of what they might say or think of us. But then we also gossip and spread lies. We disrespect our friends, our family members. They disrespect us. Our enemies could very well be in our own home. And we also may be the enemy in our own home. The enemy is within the gate. The relationships we have will fail us. And often the closer the relationship, the stronger the hurt. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And yes, there's another comic illustration. Ian, there you go. If you're familiar with Marvel, you're probably familiar with Tony Stark or with Iron Man. Now, now you know Tony is kind of, he's quick-witted, right? He has this humor. He has an ability to almost make fun of the big bad guy or to even taunt him while fighting. And, and in this way, he's often like cheeky and fun when he's fighting this big bad guy. But what happened when he felt betrayed by one of his closest allies and friends? In the Civil War, Captain America's Civil War, Tony finds out that Captain America was hiding the truth about the death of Tony's parents. What happens with Tony? The, the, the look of shock, of anger, of horror, and betrayal overcomes Tony. He's no longer chipper. He's no longer cracking jokes throughout the fight. Someone he respected, someone he cared deeply for betrayed him. And it broke his foundation. It rocked him to his very or if you don't follow comic book movies think of a a typical hallmark movie or a romantic comedy or a high school drama i don't know why you would watch these things but apparently somebody named jeff does and don't really know why but even sometimes when you watch these movies you see a picture of a young woman and maybe this woman was dumped or rejected by the love of her life What happens? Her her life comes crumbling down. She spirals. She eats a whole tub of ice cream, which I don't think you need a broken heart to do that, but to each their own. But what what is this showing you? It's, It's showing that the one person that she cared for the most, her entire world, is now gone. 
she feels rejected and betrayed. Now, typically, she learns a lesson about herself, or she, she wins the guy back, or she finds a new, better guy, but that's besides the point, because those movies are trash anyway. But what's going on in these types of situations? What's going on in our lives? Why do relationships hurt? The reason why loved ones can hurt us so deeply is because they're not supposed to. They're not supposed to hurt us, but they still do. We are not supposed to hurt them, but we still do. And that's what makes it so painful. For example, for most of us, our parents, from, the day, from day one, they're there to do what? They're to protect, to teach, and to guide us. But what happens when those things don't happen? What happens in your heart when you realize, wait, my parents can harm me? It rocks you to your core. It shakes your entire world. It makes you question everything. It can lead you to your own self-harm. It changes the very nature of your being. Your foundation is shaky now. The constants in your life are constant no more. The pain a family member or a loved one can cause, or the, the pain we can cause a family member or a loved one is real. And often so much greater than the pain that any enemy or stranger can cause. So Tyler, bring me some good news. We are broken. Our leaders are broken. Our relationships are broken. Where do we turn? Where is there hope? All great questions. Thanks for asking. And that's how I want to conclude today because the leadership and relationship that we have with the Lord will never fail us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the leadership and relationship that we have with the Lord will never fail us? Our worldly leaders are failing to execute justice. God will never. Our religious leaders are failing to execute love. God will never. Our closest relationships, they hurt, they break, and they abuse us. God will never. Now, it might look different than the way that you want it to look, but we have to surrender to God rather than making God fit into our own God-shaped box. But it's because of who God is that we can have hope in him. And it's because of who God is that Micah can say in verse 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. He's saying, go ahead, place your hope in those broken people. They're going to fail you. They're going to hurt you. But I'm going another route. I'm placing my hope in a creator and sustainer of all things. He is the only one capable of saving me from my own sins and sin's impact on the world. Micah doesn't even know the true gravity of what he's able to say. He doesn't even know how far God is going to go to secure this salvation that Micah is looking for. Micah does not even know the extent that God is willing to sacrifice of himself to save his people. But he knows that God is the only one that can save and the only one that can provide salvation. He realized that these godly leaders, they have failed time and time again, and they will continue to do so. He realized that even the closest people to him have hurt and failed him. 
He has come to the realization that the enemy is within the gates. No one can save him here. So he surrenders to that fact. And then he rests in God and says that all these people, they have failed, but God, you will never fail. You are my salvation. You are my only chance. And God hears his cries. That is bold and genuine faith. But for us, it's even so much bigger than that. Again, because Micah does not know the whole story. He simply places his faith in God as the source of his salvation. But we know exactly where our salvation comes. Acts 4 tells us there is salvation in no one else. He's talking about Jesus Christ. It's not from worldly leaders. It's not from the greatest pastors you will ever have. It's not from a spouse or friend or or loved one or any other relationship. Our salvation comes from God alone, from Jesus Christ our Lord. We do not have to wait for the God of our salvation. We do not have to wait for God to come through and make a plan for us to be saved. Because when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we believe that he came to live a perfect life and then died a death that we deserve for our sins, when we believe that that God rose Jesus from the dead, conquering death forever for those that believe in him, when you believe that, you are saved. That is the God of our salvation. That is God's plan. That's how we can have hope, often in a hopeless situation. God looked on us and he saw that we're broken, we're wretched sinners, and he chose to save us. He lavishes on us amazing grace, a beauty we cannot even fully comprehend. God has provided for us salvation. He has heard our cry. He has seen our need. He he knows what we need. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the one who is enough. Where all other leaders and relationships, they fall short, Christ will never. He is enough for us. Out of response to that, we're called to run to God, to have hope in him, follow him and his plans for our lives. I want to end this time by just simply reading Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God. O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Church, take those words to heart. And I hope in doing that, you can see and you can know that the worldly leaders and relationships that we have, they're going to fail us. But as Christians, we are to put our hope in somebody who's far greater to save us. Let's pray.
Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth found in it. We thank you that you can use your word and you can call us out. You can use your word and you can tell us the, the truth of our depravity, the truth of, of our desperate need of you, God. Lord, we ask that your spirit works in us, that you draw us to you so that we can come to an understanding of, of who you are and what you have done for us, God. Give us the strength and the boldness to put all of our hope and all of our faith in you. Give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, if you're the only one worthy of it. Amen. And now we come to a time in our service where we confess. We confess that we are broken, where we are sinners in desperate need of saving. If you have a bulletin, our confession is written there. It should also be on the screen. But we, we, we say this confession together as one voice, and then there's also a time where we privately confess our sins to our God. So if you can, please pray with me our confession of sin. Righteous Father, we who own more than we use, proclaim more than we experience, and request more than we need, come asking for forgiveness. We seek your salvation, then act like we save ourselves. We beg your forgiveness, then repeat our errors. We experience your grace, then act defeated. We rely on your hope, but only in hard times. We have become confused and misguided. Forgive our every sin. Bring us to an unbroken commitment and a steady trust through Jesus Christ, who is the way of hope, the truth of God, the life of love, now and always. Amen. Take a moment to silently confess your sins to our God. Lord, you hear our cries. Lord, you show us grace, you show us mercy, you show us love. Let us rest in the hope that only you can provide. Give you all the praise, all the honor and glory for the only one worthy of it. Amen. Hear these words as an assurance. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved.